back to DVE Rocks live from training camp presented by FedEx and brought to you in part by Lecom, Bud Light, Excella Health, Ford, and Ireland Contracting on 102.5 DVE. Welcome back for our number two, Mike Pursuta, along with Bob Labriola. We've got shirtless Tom back uh, in the studio keeping us on the air, and uh, Jacob Reck, the pride of uh, the IU Hoosiers, is on site with us. So we do have a Spartan and a Hoosier working together in concert, as long as there's no Michigan guy involved. Too many Big Ten people. We need some SEC people in here to make sure that this is, in fact, a championship operation. Well, stay tuned. They're they're fixing (laughs) to take over the world here. Well, as they should. As they should. And that was great stuff with Jim Wexel, a guy we've both known for a long time. And, uh, you know, personal uh, relationships aside, the way that was crafted – and executed. I, I can't recommend his Troy Polamalu book highly enough. Yeah, and as I said, I mean, to me, um, having done this as long as I have, uh, the two biggest compliments I can give him are these. It was very, very easy to read, and I learned some things. And um, there aren't too many of these books that teach me anything <laughs> that is actually true. The other thing I liked about it, and I think uh, this kind of happened by accident, but uh, Dick LeBeau is kind of the co-star, the way the stories evolve. And you listen to all those people talk about the, the Steeler defense in that era of Steeler football. And uh, Troy Polamalu and Dick LeBeau are kind of inseparable, and it's uh, appropriate that LeBeau ended up being his presenter or will end up being his presenter. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, you know, again, as you know, we were when we, were, we had Rick Goslin on uh, earlier, uh, one of the points I made was that, you know, as great as Bill Nunn was, his greatness was allowed to blossom because of the, um, you know, the mind meld that he had with Chuck Knoll. Uh, and that's the same thing, a little bit different with Troy Polamalu and Dick LeBeau. I mean, if Dick LeBeau was some sort of, you know, control freak defensive coordinator and didn't want anybody out of position or whatever yeah. he drew on the whiteboard, and if you were out of position, he would lose his mind. I mean, Troy can't be Troy, and LeBeau's defense doesn't become what it became. And so, you know, you have to kind of uh, have the confidence um, in yourself and what you're teaching, and I'm talking about LeBeau now, to allow, you know, greatness to blossom. And, um, you know, LeBeau deserves a lot, of, a lot, a lot, a lot of credit for that. And it was well invested in a guy like Troy and – you know, the play that I always I always will refer to is uh, two minutes and 47, 46 seconds left, 2008 AFC Championship game, uh, third and 13. Uh, the Steelers were winning 16 to 14 in a game, AFC Championship game against the Ravens. And to me, it really smelled like uh, a 17 to, four, uh, 17 to 16 loss uh, for the Steelers. And I am just going to defer to Ray Lewis's um, quoted assessment of that situation. How could you not find that How could you not know where he was, he said. If you're the quarterback. Fair question. Right. How can you (laughs) not know? He said, I was on the sideline. I couldn't believe that our quarterback didn't know where Troy Polamalu was. That pick six, you know, um, clinched that game on to the Super Bowl, uh, the sixth uh, Super Bowl championship is how that ended and you know to me i don't know that it happens 
without Troy Polamalu's unique genius uh, in, a, in a situation where um, Joe Flacco didn't know where he was, and you shouldn't make that mistake with a guy like that. Yeah, I hate to agree with Ray Lewis on anything, but uh, got exactly. to in that instance. Yes. So you mentioned unique guy, and he, Troy Polamalu was certainly that. He is still that. He was kind enough to uh, pay an extensive visit to the DVE morning show a couple of weeks ago in advance of this weekend's Hall of Fame facility. So uh, let's bring you now part one of that interview, Troy Polamalu with the DVE morning show. It's the DVE morning show, Randy Bauman, and we're very proud to uh, to present, ladies and gentlemen, here on the program uh, on your radio home of the Pittsburgh Steelers, 102.5 DVE, one of the newest inductees into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Pittsburgh Steeler Troy Polamalu. Troy, good morning. How are you, man? Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. Right. We're very excited for this summer, and I can't imagine how excited you must be for uh, all the festivities in Canton, Ohio. And, and before we get to, to all of that, I have to settle something. Well, my dog wants to talk to you, but uh, he's very excited as well. Uh, I have to ask you about the legend about – all right, buddy. Okay, calm down, buddy. See – this is the problem from broadcasting from home is that you know the dog <laughs> wants to get in on the action here and oh, okay go lay down Troy there is this legend that you have bought dinner for the entire restaurant while eating out dining out in, in Pittsburgh that it happened over and over again are you aware of this an interesting story yes okay <laughs> is there any truth to these rumors and how do you think they got started if not this is the best response that I've come up with because I've been asked this question before. I've heard these stories and they're very interesting stories. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's not like a denial. Like maybe, see, that's very superhero like of you. There was, a, yeah, there was another story about me, you know, like wearing a cape one day. You know, that's a very interesting story too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, you darn near wore the cape professionally, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, <laughs> and now Hall of Fame. Is there possibly anything else that you wanted to accomplish? Or at this point, do you feel like, all right, I touched all the bases? I, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I actually never went into the game hoping to accomplish these things. I really enjoyed playing the game of football. Mm -hmm. um, I also never thought about, uh, you know, set these at, at, at a goal at any level. For example, whether I was in high school to really set it to be a goal to go to college and play football. It just kind of naturally progressed, but I can't say I didn't expect it to happen either. The same thing um, um, happened for me in college as well. So, you know, at, after obviously looking back at my career in football, it, it's something that just naturally happened as a byproduct, to be very honest. Um, but it's um, something that wasn't very a, a pointed goal for me my entire life. Uh, so it, that seems so on brand for the Troy Polamalu that we know as Steelers fans, you know, and you've always been known as this, you know, selfless player a team first kind of guy. And I I'm wondering, like, did that help you as you transitioned out of football? Because some people have a very tough time transitioning out of football. You have like, I, I, I always think of you as somebody who is very mindful, which is something that now seems more in vogue in football than it was in the past. And guys are learning that now. Was that a tool that you've always been able to use your spirituality, your mindfulness for lack of a better way of contextualizing it? You know, 
It's funny. So, so I, you know, regarding the transition from the game, I think different people deal with different issues regarding the transition from the game. Um, you know, for me, I, I guess one thing that I've, I, I've always tried to place football into my life as just a part of my life and not really encompassing my entire life. Right. Uh, I think part of that, to be honest, could have been kind of to guard myself uh, in dealing with post-career sort of uh, issues that, 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 that I may have feared. Um, but to be honest, it was also part of my spiritual perspective that, that formed that view. And um, so without a, a shadow of a doubt that the transition really into anything and how I viewed uh, transitioning into the NFL uh, was perceived through the lens of my spirituality first and foremost. Troy, one thing along those lines, I saw your interview that you did with Andrew Stocky from Channel 4 out in uh, California, and it struck me that you were very much now at peace with how that transition had to take place and how it ended in Pittsburgh. Are you now, in fact, at peace with that situation, perhaps more so than you were when you left? For sure. Um, yeah, so, you know, one thing that I... I truly have come to understand about that transition that happened at the most perfect time of, of my life. I'm very grateful uh, to have the time that I've had with my family, uh, especially now that my children are 10 and 12, uh, being able to watch their sports careers, their academic careers develop and music careers develop. It's been a joy for me uh, to have. And had I continued to play, <clears throat> I would have missed out on, on, on a lot of that. So the timing of it was perfect. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. So the reason I brought that up is because I wanted to ask you about like your perspective on things in uh, Jim Wexel's book about you. There's a, uh, an excerpt where I am quoted about <laughs> the Super Bowl after you guys win in Tampa. And there's no way you would remember this, but you walked up to Jim Wexel and I super late, three 30 in the morning. I don't know. You were just saying goodbye to your family. Uh, maybe saying good night and you walked over and you were just so happy and you said to us when did you think we were going to win and i said what do you mean and you said when did you think we were going to win the super bowl and i said i didn't think you guys were going to win until you sacked flacco or you picked off flacco last week or two weeks ago and you said you thought that team overachieved you didn't think it was going to be a super bowl team and we were just sitting there in kind of disbelief that you were kind of taking this moment to reflect on the season with us at this point in time. And then you said the thing that always blows me away is you said, I'm just so happy for the people of Pittsburgh. <laughs> and I remember thinking like how every other guy is jumping up and down and the, you know, they achieve their life's goal. And in that moment, your perspective, you're going, I'm just happy for Pittsburgh, man. This means so much to them. So I, I guess there's two questions in there. Uh, so the predicting of the season, right? Yes. To me, it was always an interesting thing. It's funny because I, I, I overheard, heard, I don't remember recently that somebody said, we have a, a Super Bowl caliber team. And what I learned uh, was not to predict that uh, earlier in the season because, you know, you'll have injuries, you'll have these yeah. sort of things, you'll have camaraderie issues. And what I learned is every year, you know, no matter if you have the same cast of characters, like every year is very different. So like, I would always feel like really, really confident early in my career going into some seasons, like, man, why didn't we do good? Right. And it always almost turned out the opposite of what I predicted 
you know, during the year based on, oh man, we can't play without this player. Oh, we're going to miss this player for this long, you know, like yeah. these sort of things. So I, I had learned that to expect the opposite. So, or not even to say anything, you know, just be like, oh, wow, let's see how this one turns out. Right. So that's what that 2008 season was. What I also realized too was, um, you know, after that AFC championship game that we lost to New England, how important football was to the city of Pittsburgh. Right. You could feel it in the air, like the tangible, like depression. I felt like you could have d- bottled up the depression. Oh yeah. And just like, and like yeah. sold it and be like, yo, the give us to somebody who's really, really happy. They're going to drink it. And yeah. <laughs> you know, like right. to me, it was so tangible. Yeah. It was palpable so that's in what, like giant that's what, eagle. Like if you went into a market, yeah. you could feel it there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that's what, that's what to me, what was so nice about being able to, to win it. You know what I mean? Is those the, just, just, the joy and how much it brings to the city, how much commerce it brings to the city, how the, the, the city just is, is rewarded holistically. So, uh, yeah. That team in particular, though, camaraderie defensively was not an issue. I mean, you had a cast of characters for sure, but there was really, you know, Dick LeBeau had that paternal sort of uh, um, relationship with you guys. And it it's a unique thing to be able to capture. Sometimes that shows up on the field and sometimes it doesn't this is a case where it seemingly did what was it the factors in that defensive units makeup that enabled you guys to have that unique kind of relationship with your defensive coordinator and with each other so i it's it's interesting to me that that i've been a part of this whole kind of defensive uh uh unit with coach LeBeau for, I guess, maybe 11, 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would almost consider us to be two different defensive unit, almost like the 05 unit and yeah. then the 08 unit, and then kind of like holding on to the 08 unit towards the end of the career. Yeah. Um, you know, like the, the attitude that, that, that the 05 uh, defensive unit, you know, that was really kind of was really led by Joey had a very, very different attitude and perspective of how we played defense um and the brotherhood that that kind of sort of bondage and it was more of a to me it was almost like a just a like out of control group of 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 like young and hungry right you know what i mean football players that that happened just to all come together and there is this you know mad genius that was just kind of like you know uh uh you know uh controlling all these yeah the marionette oh eight yeah, the puppeteer and the, like, but, yeah, and, and Joey's attitude very much reflected in that defense. Absolutely. But then 08 was very different. You know, it was just kind of like a, a very domineering business like approach. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, epitomizing in James Ferrier and his leadership uh, of that defense. So to me, that that's kind of how I see both defenses and being very different and being blessed to be a part of them and, and really uh, you know, there's there there are just a few different changes between you know with with, with Kiesel and and Chemo, with uh, Timmons, Foot, yeah. with Pope Porter and, and and James Harrison and I love and whatnot. Chemo. So I yeah, thought- a lot of great teammates. I've I've been blessed to be a part of. 
There should be a statue of chemo. I really think that there should at least <laughs> oh, be man. like he should have like a restaurant at Heinz Field chemo's pig pit where they just do you do uh, the underground charcoal pigs every game or something. He, he doesn't get enough mention in the in the history of those Super Bowl teams to, to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. He had he had so much too uh, with, with helping develop, you know, the the, the uh, well, obviously coach John Mitchell um, being a great uh, defensive line coach himself, yes. but you know, also having help of leadership with somebody like Kimo to help develop great defensive linemen like Casey, uh, Aaron Smith, uh, uh, you know, yes. uh, Kiesel. So, uh, you know, one of the cool stories I heard about Kimo was, you know, one of the main reasons they brought him to Pittsburgh was because of how much respect Dermody Dawson had for him. Oh, wow. So to me, that was always a really cool thing. And, and uh, he, was, he was always willing to, to pull a teammate aside myself included to to say hey you're doing that wrong do it this way you know attack this way so he was very very smart technical player back to dve rocks live from training camp presented by fedex and brought to you in part by lecom bud light excella health ford and ireland contracting on 102.5 dve Welcome back, Mike Pursuta and Bob Labriola coming at you from the Rivers Casino tonight until 9 o'clock, the first of our three training camp specials here on DVE. We just heard a ton from Troy Palomala, but wait, there's more. Let's get right to it. Part two of the uh, recent Troy Palomalo interview with the DVE Morning Show. Troy, when you were talking there before about the overwhelming joy that you would see after the Super Bowl wins and, you know, the, the depression after big losses and the Super Bowl loss in Dallas and so forth. And when did you allow yourself personally or did you ever maybe it's happening now to oh, enjoy man. the good more than the bad? Because, I mean, I, I always thought when I would talk to you in the locker room, you would beat yourself up on t- uh, tiny little small details, even in good winning streaks or well-played games overall. Did you ever come into a more happy balance in that regard where you enjoyed the wins and the good times more than dwelling on the negative moments? So I don't know. It's, 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 it's an interesting question for me because um, time I've had a very interesting and strange relationship with. Um, and it's only been reinforced by the game of football. So coming from where I come from, growing up in Southern California, um, you know, you, you, you kind of just live day to day. Uh, with that, when you play football, you know, they, they tell you, you play play to play and, you know, moment to moment. And I guess being in a game that, that uh, or an occupation has a 100% injury rate, you know, you really have a, a, a real uh, strange relationship with time because it's like, man, do I dog at this play or do I give it my all? Because if I give it my all, I could get injured and not ever play again. So there's these sort of, uh, you know, thoughts that, that I guess um, you struggle with. But um, I guess with, with, the, the, with the possibility of injury, you know, uh, being a, a part of the game as well, it's made you uh, uh, really appreciate the moment. So for me, it's always been about living in the moment throughout my life and especially throughout my career, not always kind of looking at the past, but looking at kind of these short moments and really trying to correct them and saying, oh man, you know, I, I should have done better here because, because uh, or corrected here. So I've always kind of lived my life in those ways. So 
to be honest, even post-career, I, I, I really haven't even reflected on my past career because I'm living in the moment right now with my children. I'm soaking as much as I can in with that. So to be honest, I, I guess it's not only developed from my childhood, but the game has reinforced the strange relationship with time as in like maximize the moment, live in the moment. And um, it's, it's not allowed me, I guess, perhaps to even post-career reflect, you know, as I thought I would, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe I could reflect on this, but no, it's actually been reinforced literally throughout my whole life to live in the moment, to, to, to enjoy this time with my children. You know, I mean, my uh, kids are 10 and 12, like I said, they're, they're gonna be out of the house, as they say, in eight more years, you know, I got eight years left with them. I'm gonna enjoy these moments with them. So, um, I guess that that's that's the way I've not only grown up, but this game has really reinforced uh, my my relationship with time, in such a way that it it, it you know it's been more damaging, I guess, because it's taken away for the moment to reflect too much on the past. Um, so I guess that's maybe more of a long about uh, answer to your question. Troy, looking ahead to the Hall of Fame ceremony, did you have any trouble choosing who would present you for induction? For sure, uh, to, um, to be very honest with you, I, I, there are so many people in my life that, that are you know, extremely influential um, at different points of my life, at so many families that have saved my life. You know, I guess what people don't understand about my background is I was more like a foster child. So I had about 15 families that have really helped raise me. So to me, it's like, how, how do you pick a parent out of those 15? How do you pick a brother out of those 15, a sister? Um, and then let alone, of course, my wife's role, uh, who's everything to me. Um, so initially, of course, I would think about my wife, but then my wife always tells me what's best as well. <laughs> She's like, listen, this, you know, we talked about different people uh, to, to, to be on the process. But it was very obvious that it was Coach Lebeau the whole entire time. Um, there's nobody that really epitomizes all the special people. And he has all these special characters. He, he's also um, saved my career, you know? So this is a professional football uh, award. It's not a college award or a high school award, you know? And so so uh, Coach Lebeau had everything to do with that. But it's also the most pivotal time of my life where he was a father figure to me when I had a lot of questions in my life, questions about, you know, religion, questions about, you know, uh, uh, relationships and all these sort of things. So he's not only meant that much to me uh, as, as a coach, but as a father figure, um, of one of the many amazing father figures I've had in my life. So it was a difficult process, but it's also an obvious choice as well. That dovetails into the next question I wanted to ask you. You, you mentioned being a part of uh, foster-like existence growing up and, and being mentored and raised by different families and coming to Pittsburgh, it certainly is an organization that is known for having a familial sort of aesthetic to it. And, you know, Ike Taylor always called Dan Rooney Papa Rooney. And he, Dan Rooney was such a big figure that sort of, not lorded, but he was a, a guy who I think had a lot of the attributes that you were ascribing to Dick LeBeau. What was your relationship with the Rooney's like and Dan Rooney in particular, and how much of that had the same sort of dynamic of a father figure type of thing for you? 
it's it's actually a funny uh, a, a funny thing you know when i they have these pre-draft visits uh to um to the cities before they draft you uh, when i went on to pittsburgh on my pre-draft visit i was like oh no way freezing don't cold. ever want to come here yeah. i'm to southern california <laughs> right now you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> My school's right next to the beach, man. Yeah. You know, so uh, I had no ambition to come to the Midwest, let alone, uh, uh, you know, uh, away from Southern California. But again, I also was raised in Oregon as well. So I had so much of this blue collar deep within inside me too. This kind of mid, uh, that was really deeply ingrained, this uh, blue collar approach to life. Uh, the respect um, of how you earn respect in these sort of communities. This was something that was deeply ingrained in me, especially growing up in a place like Oregon. So when I went to Pittsburgh, um, it, it actually was perfect for me. It was a mix of both. It, it, it had this really, uh, it valued the things that I truly valued, that my culture and some, being Samoan truly valued um, and everything that I stood for. So when I came to Pittsburgh uh, and growing in within the city, to me, uh, was something that that um, that really grew, um, or or, or I, that that we really, I guess, combined and became attached with because it was very like-minded uh, values. Um, but now, in particular, when it came to the Steelers organization, that to me is what was very special about Coach uh, Cower as well as Mr. Rooney. Um, was that they made sure that the culture of their organization embodied the city. And that's, that's what, what I, I loved about it too. They were, at, you know, you know, they were, they were in the locker room shaking uh, hands with the players to me, you know, that's like the, the owner, the CEO coming down to the factory workers, and you know, yeah, like yeah. shaking hands. He's in the, you know, on the same buses, on the same airplanes. It, these, these sort of things are, are very special to me, you know, like a, uh, it, most of the players in the lot have nicer cars than you know than than Mr. Rooney. You know what I mean. So there's yeah. a very humble uh, sort of approach to life that that is very valuable, and and it's something to me that's so beautiful that you don't. He doesn't have to convey it verbally. It's just something that you just have to watch and and just like this is the way this guy that you know Ike used to say he only has three suits or three <laughs> pairs of suits or, or I could say three three pairs of suits. <laughs> um, so like, um, to me though, that sort of uh, humility and that's really what I valued in that too. It, so it really embodied the culture of the city. It really embodied the culture of the organization. It really is something that was very precious and dear in my heart that just needed to be expanded upon. So it was a natural and beautiful fit. Troy, uh, to that end, I saw a quote from you where you were saying that uh, your kids miss Pittsburgh so much they want to go back, even though they're playing in the sun every day in Southern California. Um, <laughs> is that part of the reason why, like your connection to the Steelers and the Steelers' connection to them, is that why they miss Pittsburgh so much? I mean, is that why they want to come back? I, I, I still have images of them. I think it was your young, youngest kid that might have put me out for two weeks in my flag football team for rolling up my meniscus when he was jumping on your duffel bag. Like, you know, like those, those kids, do they miss that connection to the Steelers? And is that why they want to come back so badly? Listen, this can be a pretty controversial Pittsburgh statement here. I'm about to say, <laughs> but what I realize is the difference between me and them. 
But there was, it's like, I've lived there the longest in my life that I've lived anywhere. And it's home to me. They were born there. <laughs> Got it. Got it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they're born in the Geese Children's Ho uh, Women's Hospital. They got sick. They went to the children's, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they're, they're, they, they drink the water there. They, they were born there. You know, they, their blanket was the terrible towel at McGee's. So there's a very big difference in my opinion. You know, like they, they, yeah. they have that kind of what I've learned to value now that I've traveled more. They have that grit that Pittsburgh has. And uh, that to me is beautiful. Last question I have for you. In Coach Cower's book, Heart of Steel, have you read it yet? I have not. No. Wait for the audio book. I'm sure he'll be the one. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wanted to uh, uh, ask you about uh, there's a scene that he describes in there where in a game, he, he calls a defense that they had called earlier in the game and you're out of position and he's screaming at you. He's going, Troy, what the hell are you? You're in the wrong. And you keep waving him off and you're out of position and he keeps screaming at you. You're out of position. What are you doing? And, and uh, the play goes off. You jump right before the end of the play back into position, and then you run onto the sidelines. You say, hey, coach, we ran that before earlier in the game. And yeah. that guy knew, the quarterback knew that, that, that formation, so I was trying to throw him off. Like, you were doing stuff without cower knowing. You, you know, Coach LeBeau gave you the carte blanche to sort of, you know, act unilaterally on the field. How did you, like a superhero, figure out how to use that responsibility responsible you know i mean you had you know you're jumping over the line on the count and doing a lot of risky things that almost always seem to work out well you know when i jumped over the line it was actually pretty sound because it said casey you take the middle third and i'll take your position <laughs> All right, okay. he didn't hear me i told coach lebeau i was like coach you know like he didn't hear me i told him to take the middle third it's actually sound <laughs> um, so to me, what, 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 what's interesting about that is it's, it's to answer the earlier question is, is I, I spent a lot of time learning every position, you know, earlier in my, 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 my rookie, uh, uh year. Yeah. So in, in the process of learning all these different positions, uh, it was easy for me just to, to, to mix and match, uh, you know, whether you just move a corner to safety or safety to corner or whether a strong safety comes free safety. Um, or whatnot. So, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's funny too, because, you know, sometimes when a call consistently works well as a safety, it can get pretty boring back there <laughs> as well. So you were just bored. <laughs> so you sometimes have to be pretty innovative, yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to try to stimulate some excitement within the game as well. And, and, and even, uh, sometimes to troll coaches as well. Well, in, in, an effort, in an effort to make this interview not boring, we've brought in, to ask the last question, a special guest journalist from the Bearded Times. It is <laughs> Brett the Diesel Kiesel. Hey, guys. Hey, what's up, brother? Hey, Troy. Good to see you. I'm happy to represent the Bearded Times here for this amazing Hall of Fame interview. Beat writer. I I got one question. Well, two, I guess. So during your 12-year Hall of Fame career with the Pittsburgh Steelers, how much was hair a factor in your overall routine? Oh my gosh. And the second question is 
Asked by a teammate. <laughs> a list of uh, a list of your favorite favorite pranks that you pulled on on the team during your twelve years too. Maybe one story. Okay. All right. So the, the hair routine. Um, it is funny. I did have a. I, I'm extreme. Like a. I'm a, a, a victim of habit. I'm very OCD victim of habit. So I do everything like very sim, very methodically, mostly, you know, throughout, especially, you know, throughout my playing days because things are so regimented. So hair is a big part of that process, perhaps too big a part of the process to admit publicly. Um, <laughs> but yes, for sure. There's a post hair routine. There's a, a pregame routine. There was a lot of different routines. Uh, there's a there's a, a routine, a, 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 a hair exercise routine for head and shoulder shoots. We got, we got, we got it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So regarding the pranks, one of the funniest uh, uh, things that I think I remember was with Heinz. So Heinz used to always uh, say this joke about, uh, um, you know, if people got feelings in the back of their uh, back of their mouths. And he was like, hey, man, did you get this feeling? Because, man, my, my, you know, my tooth really, really hurts. Is there a feeling? He's like, is there something? He's like, do you have one? And the guy was like, oh, Heinz would be like, let me, let, me, let me look at the feeling. So the guy would open his mouth up, and then Heinz would, like, throw some grass in their mouth, and everybody would start <laughs> laughing. And I'd come by with, with some water. I'm like, Heinz, that's messed up, dude. That's, you know, like, here, man, wash it out. But I'd keep the, uh, the, the cap on the bottle you know, like really loose. So then he'd go on the street cap and it would all pour all, all over his face. But we got quite a few rookies with that. It was kind of like a, a, a yearly thing, you know, with Hans and I just to, to, to pull that combination on a bunch of rookies. But I definitely did that throughout the whole game. You know, throughout the game, I would just go through all of the uh, bottles and just loosely, <laughs> loosely just sit there and just watch them in the silence, wait for somebody to grab it the whole time. You know, perhaps maybe miss a play or two because I was watching for a prank on the sidelines <laughs> accidentally. But uh, yeah, these sort of things were all. So to be honest, those are the sort of things that I really cherish and and um, remember more often than anything. Uh, you know, the, the plays on the field. Um, I, I really don't uh, remember much or, or cherish as much as I, I, I do these sort of moments, the times that you create laughters and have pranks and times you're away from your, uh, the facility and, and, and having great times as well. And, and honestly, now uh, to be able to see my brothers, uh, my nephews grow up, man, you know, Ryan Clark has, has a, yeah. has a son at, at, at Arizona State, you know, so a lot of these, a lot of, you know, a lot of my nephews are, are coming out of the A's where, man, I'm so blessed to be the tailgating uncle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's my life. Like, I, 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 I am so blessed. I really am so blessed that I'm not only, the, I'm the tailgating father, I'm the tailgating uncle, and I happen to have a lot of very talented nephews. So, I'm, I'm very blessed to, to have uh, great brothers, great teammates that I've been able to meet throughout my life. So those pranks are great memories. The hair, we've had our, our, our great memories with hair and hair uh, with head and shoulders, thank God, uh, who, you know, nowadays I'm pretty, pretty much just a full-time hair model is what I tell my wife. <laughs> it's like, be careful, honey, you're talking to a model nowadays, no longer a football player. <laughs> but yeah anyways very blessed um 
We're really proud of you, Troy, and thanks for bringing me along the hair venture with you. And you even got Heinz Ward involved, which is amazing. You know, you got the bald guy and the bearded guy and then the guy with the gray hair to be a part of Head and Shoulders. But you really were a catalyst for our success, my friend, and we're all very proud of you. And, you know, we're looking forward to seeing you in Canton and celebrating with you, buddy. So we love you. Thank you, bro. Love you too, man. Troy Palomalu. Most recent Hall of Fame inductee for the Pittsburgh Steelers going in with Coach Cower on Saturday of the two-day festivities that's going on this year. Um, it's amazing. Five Steelers going in because of the conjoined ceremonies this year with uh, Donnie Shell, Coach Cower, Bill Nunn, and uh, Alan Fanica and Troy Palomalu. Troy, I mean, we miss you like crazy in Pittsburgh, and, uh, you know, thanks for an unbelievable career. It was never as much fun as it was when you guys were playing defense for the Steelers. Those were incredible, fun years for all of us, and we'll never forget them. Thanks for the memories. Thank you so much. I, I, I really appreciate it. I, I really understand now. At that time, was very special. Now I can understand why the 70s. Fans were always like, oh man, this is the 70s. You know, unfortunately for all these guys, and be like, oh man, you should have seen the 2008 defense. Yeah, I know. I feel like that. The aughts, boy, I tell you, the aughts. We really had them. (laughs) Troy Palomalu, congrats, man. We'll see you in camp. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Back to DVE Rocks live from training camp, presented by FedEx and brought to you in part by Lecom, Bud Light, Excella Health, Ford, and Ireland Contracting on 102.5 DVE. Welcome back to the Rivers Casino. Mike Pursuta and Bob Lariola with you until 9 o'clock tonight. And uh, great stuff there from Troy Polamalu, who has now become the tailgating uncle, the tailgating dad. He's headed to Canton. Uh, Bill Nunn's following. Donnie Shell, Alan Fanica, Bill Cower. But Labs and Steelers are going there as well, and they're going to play a game on Thursday. Uh, it is the first of four preseason games. It's the extra game. The league did the right thing and cut the number down to three, but somehow we still got stuck covering four preseason games. Uh, I'm not optimistic about what the offensive line's going to look like Thursday night. I'm not real worried about it. But I am curious to see how the quarterbacks perform you know, they do a drill almost every day over there at Heinz Field. It's called pass under pressure. And uh, <laughs> they should get some practice at that. Yeah, I but, I, you know, do you want to see Mason Rudolph and uh, Dwayne Haskins uh, in a little bit of uh, less than an ideal environment, see how they respond? Well, you know, I think that um, seeing them in a game where, um, you know, as Bubby Bristol could tell you, when the defense is do- isn't doing what's on the cards, um, that's kind of um, – you know, somewhat of an adverse uh, situation as it is, you know, compared to training camp practices and stuff. But I think that when, you know, your offensive line is not reliable, it really prevents you from getting any kind of uh, legitimate evaluation of any of the skill people. You don't know what the running backs can do if there's no blocking. If the quarterback has no protection and he's just running for his life, you really don't get a sense of, uh, what he might be able to do in terms of, you know, executing the offense, running the offense, and those kind of things. So, um, you know, I, the the offensive line, in terms of Thursday night's game, let me just say that specifically uh, with respect to that, the offensive line makes me nervous because, you know, if you're going to play th- this extra preseason game, if you're going to 
go through this whole preseason process, you know, for the sake of evaluating these players on the roster. You want to at least get them in a, a situation where they have a chance to show you what they can do. And in football on offense, if your offensive line um, isn't reliable, then really anything else that happens, um, you know, you, you really can't count on it. You don't know what you're seeing. And so um, that's what I, I won't say I fear it, but um, in terms of what the Steelers want to get out of this game, it just concerns me whether they'll be able to do that with so many of their top-level offensive linemen injured. Defensively, is there a position group that you feel better or worse about relative to how you felt going into camp, or are we still too early in the process? Um, I, I feel, um, well, it's kind of two positions. Um, the Alex Highsmith um, thing to me is now settled. Wow, um, does he look good out right. there. Right. Wow, does he look good out there. And, you know, he was drafted to be the replacement for Bud Dupree. Um, I think he is up to that task, and this will allow them to. Um, Not only that, but they've used him the last couple of days to school Najee Harris and Pat Fryermuth in the art of blocking in various backs on backers. Right, or drills. at least to show them what they can expect Yeah, uh, uh, in, in trying to do that job. Here's what an NFL motor looks like. Yes. Deal with it, kid. Yes. Um, uh, but uh, Highsmith will allow the Steelers to use Melvin Ingram in a way that I think will make him effective. You know, 20, 25 snaps a game maybe. The way you should use a 32-year-old guy coming off a knee injury. Exactly. Um, and the other thing to me that is, is, I won't say it's settled, but I feel more comfortable slash confident about it is uh, the defensive backfield. Uh, I'm James, right there with James you. Pierre is a real player. Uh, where, they, where they put him how he works with Cam Sutton, uh, um, you know, in terms of who's where and what situations. You know, I think that now they have options, which when this whole process started, I didn't know if they would. And, um, you know, the way well, I Well, they just didn't have proven options. You know, they had options. <laughs> good. They didn't have any good options, let's put, the, <laughs> put it like that. But, um, but, you know, to me, James Pierre is... Uh, competing not against Cam Sutton, but against the other guys they're trying at the slot corner uh, because, as Terrell Austin said, they want to put their five best on the field. Yeah, he's been uh, really impressive, particularly of late. Uh, the 107-yard interception returned to the other end zone in seven shots on Friday night and then another pick on Saturday. He could have run it back to the other end zone, but he stopped around midfield. I guess you only need to do that once to prove it that you can do it. That's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, I want to thank uh, our guests tonight, uh, starting with Rick Gosselin from uh, SI's Talk of Fame Network. Thanks to Jim Wexel, who authored that brilliant book on Troy Palomalo. And, of course, we spent a lot of time listening to Troy and his recent visit with the DVE Morning Show. I want to remind everybody that uh, Bob Labriola and I are going to be right here at the Rivers Casino again next Monday. Uh, I'll be fresh off a trip to Canton, you'll be fresh off the couch. Uh, and then uh, two weeks from tomorrow will be our final show here at the Rivers Casino, uh, the, the third of the three DBE training camp specials. That's going to do it for tonight. Thanks to Shirtless Tom back in the studio. Thanks to Jacob Reck here on site who did his job a lot better than Archie Miller did in Bloomington. For 
Bob Labriola. I'm Mike Fasuda. You've been listening to DVE Rocks Training Camp on your flagship for the Steelers, 102.5 DVE.